Hi, welcome to Squaring the Circle, a podcast about how business owners in the creative industry balance the art and the business. For episode 13, I chat to author Andreas Luizu. This conversation is packed full of tangible advice that will get you writing about your business in a fresh, authentic and engaging way. Our conversation explores how to influence people when writing about your business, matchbox storytelling, how to think like a storyteller and the importance of writing whilst visualising your audience. I'm your host Benjamin Bowles from Benjamin Film and Photography and welcome to Squaring the Circle. Author of The Story is Everything, Andreas Luizu, welcome to Squaring the Circle. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm, I'm very well, I'm very well. We are recording this um, and I, I don't even know the name of the storm. Storm Doris or something? So Storm, storm Doris. Storm Eunice, I think. Storm who? Storm Eunice. Eunice, that's it, not Doris. Um, storm Eunice is is, uh, is coming through us now, so hopefully we don't get too many interruptions. But thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak to me today from sunny Madrid. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, sorry for all those guys. You'll probably be looking back now and thinking... God, storm units was terrible. I, it's you know, it's not all plain sailing here in Madrid. I've, I went out, I had to put a jumper on today. You know, it's not terrible, terrible. First world problems, eh? <laughs> um, so my first question um, is probably a question that you had to um, answer a lot of times, actually, maybe to get this book published. But the book, the story is everything. Why this book, and why now? Why now, I think I'll start with. Okay. There are loads, loads, loads of books on storytelling for business. And there are loads of podcasts, loads of blogs. But many of them fail. They don't work for me for kind of two simple and linked reasons. Half of the books are written by people with experience of business and no experience of storytelling. They've maybe read two or three books on script writing, for example, or on narrative structure. And that's why they always, always include the hero's journey, because it's for them, it's new. For everybody else, they've seen it before. The other half of the books are written by people who have perhaps lots of experience in writing or storytelling and know absolutely nothing about business. So their examples are are kind of they're quite hackneyed they're quite tedious so i really said how this is like the only business book you'll ever read that doesn't talk about apple against ibm yeah you know those it doesn't talk about the structure of star wars those things have been done to death so i was thinking right fresh content and a fresh approach so my background is you know i worked in finance i was in city for a long time uh, but my degrees are in English. So I've got a, a degree in Lee, from Leeds and I've got an MPhil from Cambridge. So I've always had these two camps. At the same time, uh, I can add into the mix that I've been working in training for about 25 years now. So I started off doing very hard mathematical skills like company valuation. But over time, it's drifted. It became company valuation, then writing reports about company valuation. And it's become now writing writing for business let's be honest the vast majority of business writing is terrible and the vast majority of business storytelling is even worse so i found it almost like a personal need to improve things um i love i love that star wars reference and the hero's journey it's everywhere it's so good it's so good so you mentioned there you're in the position that you've read three script writing books and you think yeah. you're qualified to write about story. So in your opinion, then, how do you get better at writing story? How do you get better at writing stories? Well, you just listen. The first thing, once you're aware of the subject, what happens is you see it all the time. It's completely natural. People tell stories to each other all the time, maybe a little joke or at work. It's things like, do you remember Bob? Bob was the guy who sold this to that. Yeah, or Sheila was the woman when there was no supply left, she found the extra bananas. All companies or all networks of uh, freelancers have these tales that they tell to each other. And of course, they get exaggerated and names get changed. 
But when you join a really big company, I, I was on the kind of graduate scheme at PwC, these stories are kind of what knit a company together. And you go the first day and you hear the story about the, the, the PwC, the C is Coopers. So you hear about the Coopers brothers in the Victorian age. And this is the DNA that binds, that creates a company that runs through a successful company. And it's how we communicate. The problem is, it's kind of in the, what, you, what you have seen, many of you have seen, especially in the last two years, it's a real growth in the subject or the consultancy sale of business storytelling. And that's turning it into something that's like um, uh, a kind of time management or listening skills, all really, really useful, but storytelling is natural. It's like you come home, you tell your granddad about what happened in the sand. That's storytelling. So it's not about kind of uh, forcing yourself to do something that's unnatural. It's about going back to things that you love doing. And that's why when I teach it, you always get this moment, you always get like 15 minutes of resistance at the beginning of every course. So I work with banks and brokers, and kind of, you know, financial people, and they think business storytelling, part, and then they start to enjoy it after about 10, 15. And then they're really into it. It's like they've rediscovered something. It's one of those areas about business that is simultaneously really effective and really good fun. And that's just a great mix. And so you mentioned your training there and sort of teaching yeah. people about the power of story. But um, I, had the, I had the great pleasure to read the first few pages of your book, actually, first 28 pages. One thing that really stuck in my mind was what you call FAB, feelings, actions, and belief. Um, so the so first part of the question is, do you want to explore a bit about that? Uh, and maybe kind of tie in the creative element, because obviously this podcast is aimed at creative business owners. So um, if you just want to talk a bit about that, if you may. Yeah, so, so the idea is this, you're putting hopefully a lot of effort into your writing now and your storytelling is you really want to make an impact for people. So you want to become a writer or a speaker of influence. Now, if you influence someone, you change them. You look at the great, look at some influencers, look at anyone on YouTube, look at, I always choose Oprah Winfrey. It's a really good example that Oprah says, buy this soup. The shares of that soup company go through the roof because millions of people are literally waiting for Oprah's instructions you know, for what to do next. So people who have got influence affect us in different ways and they change how we feel or how we act or what we believe. Now, look at this from the perspective of um, an advertiser. Now, I, I, I chose this example because it's an area I know absolutely nothing about. I'm going to talk about cars. Now, I'm rare in that I've never owned a car in my life I mean it's my ambition to go through life without owning a car it's not it's not because I'm like particularly green or anything it's because I'm a, I'm a very poor driver and after about 10 minutes I get bored and I look around and that's not good is it on the road that's not good it's not the thought, best. Right, but you know I, I I'll avoid cars in my life except for this example look at car adverts now if you're if you're looking to change what people believe you approach the rational side of the argument. So it's what they think. So classically in car ads, you would have things like this car does 35 miles to the gallon. It's a provable fact. It's better than its competitor. That's going to save you money. So that's a sale about the belief, about the fact, about the thought. That's about the rationality. If you think about the F, the feelings, it's when you get those adverts for cars and you're, you know, there's, um, you know, they'll play a song, for example, a classic one, they'll play I Feel Free by Cream. I'm thinking of a real advert now. And the car is going through some Alpine roads and weirdly for the holiday ski resort, there are no other cars. It's just you and the open road and it's fantastic. So what does that do? It changes how you feel about buying the car. And when that sense of freedom comes, the other kind of feeling is like, I am the boss of the world, yeah? I have made this decision to buy this car. Ultimately, with adverts, what you're looking for is the A, which is the action, which is to buy the car. So sometimes if you're selling, you know, say you're a plumber tomorrow. No, say you're a roofer tomorrow, the day after Storm Eunice. 
you don't need to change people's feelings or their thoughts or their beliefs. All you need to do is get them to act, which is to contract you to repair their roof. In more competitive situations, you've got to work harder to influence people. And it's the tales that you tell that can really influence people. You know, I'll give an example. You and I, we worked on Margate Bookie, which is the festival and now a charity in Margate. And I often have to do feedback reports for uh, for funders, is, you know, I'm really happy to do. I'm really grateful for their funding. I can't get over the fact that people will give us money to do things that we love doing, but it's a great feeling. Now, the factual side of that, the, the, the belief side of that is kind of sheets where you say 120 people attended this session. The average feedback was 4.7 out of five. Okay. I thought I was, I was, there's, there's an organisation that both you and I know, I won't name them. And I thought, well, look, actually, I'll give them something different. I'll give them all the belief stuff, all the thinking stuff, all the analytics. But I'll tell them a story about someone who came to the event and was changed. It's someone you wouldn't normally expect came to the event and basically was overjoyed by what she saw. So I said, this woman, what, what it was, we, we did a exhibition of photos that you organized and i don't know if i told you this actually you know, andrew andrew dennis organized and they were, we put them up on the wall of the turn of contemporary which is quite a big statement i think and this lady who must have been in her 70s or 80s very softly spoken completely lost in the gallery kind of almost trembling came up to me and said my grandson has a picture up here can you can i come in that was interesting like she felt she couldn't come into the room even though it was after a session i said yeah of course of course and i said what's his name and we found the picture and she started crying and it was in a lovely sort of way it was, the picture was terrible i mean it's like the emotions <laughs> took over right and um i just thought that was great so i wrote that up as like a three-line reference to that woman whose name i never learned i've forgotten who wrote the picture but that's me that makes all the hassle. I, di I didn't do it just for funders, I did it for me. That's the sort of story that keeps me motivated to keep running Margate Bookie. I'm happy, of course, I'm happy that we get great reviews and that, you know, the, the tick sheets are all good and everything's in its place. But it's those sorts of things about individual change. I actually found quite inspirational. I think a lot of people, and now I'm certainly no expert in, in story or anything like that, but. Ben, like, let me which... Ben, Ben, let me just. You probably are. Well, You've told I, stories well. in the past. You, you, when you were a kid, you knew how stories worked. You watch a film, you can distinguish between a great film and a rubbish film. At a certain level, mm, all mm. of us know how to tell stories. Yeah. To me, more is that all of us knew. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose what I'm talking about is that what, once, you, once you make a deliberate attempt to study story, yeah. And then you sort of you mentioned the hero's journey. So you've got that kind of ticked. I think the next stage is what you've just talked about. And rather than the hero's journey or the hero's struggle, story is about change, whatever that change is. And I think what's really valuable about what you're saying is that anybody listening to this, just by sort of thinking about that sentence, whether it's a social media post, whether it's a short video, whether it's a short story, if you're keeping those things that you just talked about, changing changing beliefs um, and influencing people that's a really good i would say it's a really good starting point to think about how you present yourself i suppose one thing i always say when i'm teaching is you know we're often in really interested in things like the 12 steps or the three act structure but it's too much for you just think of you know the, i go through four kind of basically back of the matchbox story forms and the simplest one is kind of we used to do it like this. We do it like this now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or I couldn't do this. I, I couldn't drive. And now I pass my driving test. Yeah. And like this little, little examples of change. Yeah. And it's kind of really natural. You will hear them all the time. It's just mm. people talk, people talking to each other doesn't need a, like a kind of like five grand a day, you know, business writing consultant to tell them that story works i love i love the idea of matchbox storytelling that's great yeah that's but it is it's true it's just it's it's keeping it really simple isn't it 
keeping it really simple. And one another thing that, that came to my um, or that comes to mind now, just when sort of reflecting on what I read um, in your book, was um, the need to be concise, the need to, if you can say it in three words, say it in three words, don't feel the need to go round the houses um, and um, and essentially have have wasted words. Every word should mean something. And that was something that really sort of <clears throat> struck me, actually, because it happens so much that if you I think people. People think, well, if it's simple, I'm not going to I'm not going to be legitimate. Um, I'm not an expert in my field, but actually by simplifying and simplifying and editing you're actually making things so much more um well just better all around and and more probably creative as well yeah i think there's a lot of creativity i think anyone can write really long sentences the real skill is reducing them it's like when you watch you know like, I, I don't know a really great comic in action a one-liner hmm. That's not simple. That's tons of work. They've played that line time and time again. They've cut down the story so it works like that. So by the time you've got the joke, by the time you're laughing, you're midway through the next line. That's a real skill. I think when you say, yeah, we confuse simplistic, simple with simplistic, that's us speaking to ourselves. Never, never do you get kind of someone posting on LinkedIn and then there's a comment that says, oh, I wonder if you could make this more complicated. <laughs> no, it's, true. It's, it's really, you know, the real skill is if you're right, you know, LinkedIn is, <laughs> I've got to say, it's, it's kind of that where, where business writing goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so just, just quickly, that's the name of this podcast sorted. So thank you. <laughs> What you've got is like it's, it's people that you know, you just like you, you could look up, go go after this podcast, go on LinkedIn for two minutes, you'll find someone that is that will be saying at this present juncture or at this moment in time instead of saying now. Okay, and I go through in the book lots of examples in the event that you actually mean if. Okay. So because good. when you do, it's so, so obvious once it's pointed out, because business writing makes us feel that we should be pompous, we should be puffed up, we should be formal, we should elongate rather than reduce. And actually, you know what? Think like a storyteller. No one says, oh, I'm just going to think of an example. Give me a good, I don't know. Think of a nursery rhyme. No, think of a, not, think of a fairy tale. No one says, once upon a time, and I think that was the 7th of January, 2004, at, 3 a.m. No one ever says that. It's we just don't need that guff that goes around it. And I, I remember because you know having a, a, a degree in English and then joining a firm of accountants was like I don't know studying classical music for ten years and joining a punk band. You know it had its great moments, but most of the time I was shielding my ears and my eyes from just the terrifying bad writing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your inner voice or your inner critic, which potentially sort of says... Oh, well, let me try. I didn't, I didn't mention inner critic. Inner voice, you said. Yeah, why do you equate inner voice with inner critic? Well, because you said, um, you were saying that it's your inner no, voice. Talk about what I said. What are you saying to yourself? When well, you say, my inner voice is my inner critic, what does that say about you? Oh, well, no, yeah, well, that's very true. That's very true. Because why I, why I equated that, is because your your sort of your sentiment was people don't say make stuff more complicated it's you because you feel potentially that you need to prove yourself yeah which i think anybody in the creative field that is producing stuff could probably empathize with how do you personally get over that or have you get have you got over that or is that still a process that you need to kind of get out your own way despite knowing everything that you know mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of really two, two, two parts to the same, to the answer, okay? The first thing is, is your content, what you're writing about. When I visualize, when you mention the creative, um, uh, people that have to write creatively or choose to write creatively about their work, I see this group of people, I'm visualizing them now, and they are all really good at what they do. 
Yeah, the guy who talks about LinkedIn knows about LinkedIn. The the, the woman that runs the um, kind of consult the counseling business knows a lot about counseling. So first is you've got to establish the fact that you are the person that knows what they're talking about. Okay. And that's what people want from you. They want your expertise. They want your real examples. They want their knowledge. The second part of the answer is about how you express it. And that's where the block is going to be. You know, if you were writing a blog about photography, you know everything about photography, right? Compared to me, right? You could, you could argue that. You could argue that. <laughs> Everyone in the world knows more about photography than I do. But I know what a good picture is. But if you're writing about your subject, that's where you, I think with you, let's use you as the example here. When I say you, I mean you bit, not, not like kind of the listener for this next minute or so. That's where the fear is, or that's where the complications are, or that's where that tension is, where you feel like we know this stuff, but we don't know how to put it across. And that's why I concentrate on the storytelling, but also the word use, the sentence construction, you know, the way you get people's attention. And I guess this all circles back to something that's absolutely fundamental to me. If when you're writing or when you're presenting, you have to think about your audience first. If you don't visualize, if you write a book, is it, I'm not talking about your novel, right? I'm talking about your business book. If you don't visualize the reader, what, what does she want from you? Where is she reading? How old is she? you don't have a picture of who you're writing to in mind, you're not going to be as good as you could possibly. And there's this weird thing that happens. The more specific you, you are at visualising that person, the more your writing or your message will appeal to millions of people. Because everybody feels that you're speaking directly to them. And that's, that's kind of how storytelling works. You know, you watch a film, you kind of, especially more, more like with a book, you read a novel, you, a good, great novel makes it feel, makes you feel like you kind of, this writer, she's talking to me. She's recounting the story. And the, 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 the brilliance is that they're really specific. If you, as this crazy person, are really specific in visualising who you're writing to, who you're telling the story to, it will work for everyone. If you try and encompass everyone, Hi, everybody. This is our story. Let's all work at this together. It may not work for you if you're in Hong Kong or in Lapland. Just it's bland. It's vague. It doesn't connect. And connection, again, one of the really overused words in storytelling. But we all know when a speaker or a writer connects with us. You mentioned writing for the audience. Um, and everything you do should be writing for the audience. Now, actually, you've sort of, I had a question prepared, um, which you've sort of answered, actually. But just to clarify, when you're talking yeah. about business writing, so you're yeah. essentially trying to attract customers, you say completely focus on the audience and then do your writing. However, yeah. if it's a, a narrative story, if it's a novel, do you do you have that really sharp focus of, who your audience is or is it more that's a, that's, that's, a really good, that's a really good question it's one i was really trying hard to avoid in the previous answer Excellent. I, think, I think if you write a novel and it's you're thinking you're, you begin with the market and you begin with your target demographic uh you may it may even be like you think about who's bought my books in the past i don't think you're going to produce something that's authentic I think not, not, novel writing is so different. All right, they're both types of writing, but it's so different from business writing, business storytelling. I think the novel has to be, even if it's third person, it has to be immense, intensely personal. Because what you're getting is a chance to actually live as someone else or see someone else's life. And that's not what you want in your business writing. You know, I, th I, think they, they, I think they are very different. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you, they come from a different approach. So you said a word there where, I mean, there's so many overused words and I say most of them. Um, yeah. and, and, I, and I've said this one lots of times. Um, authenticity, authenticity in your writing. I slightly grimaced as I said that. I know, yeah. I know. But it has, but everybody's aware of it and everybody 
tries to be whatever the word is but let's 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 go with authentic yeah how do we as whatever our whatever we're producing how do we be more authentic in in what we produce in um obviously you're you're an author so maybe sort of take it down that road but how how do you sort of join the not join the dots between good or you know what what you would call correct or good writing and authentic because if for instance now this is a massive question isn't it but i'm going to carry on if for instance i came to you and said right andreas i could either be i could try and get my personality out in this piece of writing but it's going to be pretty terrible in terms of the technical side or i could be a lot more restrained but be technically more proficient what would you say what i would say is is pretty much not a false split but what i would say is focus on the personality focus on the you the technical proficiency you can get from the book or you can get from asking for feedback that's that transmission bit that's what i'm kind of telling you i can't tell you how to be you there's nothing more inauthentic someone like, i don't know have you come across have you come across personal brand managers um, obviously okay. not i'm looking at you on the screen now obviously not so uh, <laughs> that's that's harsh harsh but fair no but you know i think those things when you do do with brand managers, personal brand managers and they're advising people to be totally different it will come across as rubbish mm. but if you act, if they say look accentuate the fact that you have 10 years experience in this country that's kind of authenticity plus twist. It's a realization that you are authentic and simultaneously using that authenticity in business. So you're kind of plumping up your authenticity. I'm going to use the phrase authenticity pillow. And I'm never going to use that phrase again because A, it's rubbish and B, it's very hard to say. But you're kind of you're, you're kind of maximizing the points of interest. And I think it's really, really essential that your personality, your personal style of communication comes through. If you're, you know, if you fear towards being an introvert, there's no point being all big and shouty on Twitter. Mm. It just sounds, it just comes across as wrong. You know, you've got to understand what, you know, kind of who you are and where you're coming from. And then again, let's loop it back to what we're always going to say. You're the, who decides whether you're authentic? It's not you, it's the reader. What do you mean by that? They're the people that are going to, certain level, no one's saying, oh, let me judge, is he authentic or not? But what we always do, especially online, if we buy stuff, is do we trust? So you never, you never have a doubt. If you buy from Amazon, you never think it's going to go wrong. Okay, you never think you're going to get hacked. If you go to a smaller supplier of any good, you think, oh, hold on, where are they based? Hold on, is that is that a Russian web address? Yeah, all those reviews for that product look like they're written by the same person. Mm. Yeah, we have kind of a, a need for trust, uh, and we kind of well, let's use authenticity and trust at the moment just the next 30 seconds as as synonyms. We need to believe in the product and the supplier and the company. We need to, we need to trust them. So as long as you're producing work that people can look at and can trust, that's the most important thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. When I tend to say that, going back to the festival, when I, um, you know, when I judge what authors do, you know, we're, we're in a great position now that it's different. When I started, I had to really, I had to tell the story about why I've set up marketing booking. I had to convince authors, even the authors I knew, to come down to this weird town. Kind of people think, oh, is it near Hastings? Is it near Cardiff? They didn't really know where market was. Now it's different. Now we get loads of people applying. I have to choose. And uh, how do I choose? Well, I kind of read their books. You know, it's yeah. really I, I think, oh, that's a good book, or ah, that's not a good book. But I will also look at things like reviews, online presence, kind of if they're on YouTube, how do they interview? 
because that's really important because it's more about the, it's not just about the book it's about how they uh, translate how they interact with the audience so i you know i was gonna say i'm guilty of this i'm not guilty of this i do this i don't think there's a judgment here i do this we all assess it later on in the book it's too big of a subject for now i look at I'm a bit pretentious. I look at the Aristotle approach, the ethos, a great model, the Ethan model, that's your consultancy approach. It's a way of, it's... It, You're speaking very authentically, Andrews, don't, don't worry. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, Aristotle used three terms to describe how we uh, assess speaker or a writer. And it's about their ethos, their pathos, and their logos. So very, very briefly. Maybe a subject for another podcast. So ethos is about um, what they've done, what gives them the right to talk. If they're writing, if they've written a book about the uh, crossing the Atlantic, they have to have crossed the Atlantic, and that's why we feel when we find books have been made up, like there's a, there's a movie, there's a book of a movie. I can't remember the name of the guy, but I've read the book and seen the movie. Guy in the states makes up a huge story, wins Pulitzer Prize, and then it's all bound to be fake. He didn't have any right, he didn't have had any authority to write to us. But if you've got the war, if you've got the war stories, if you were, you know, if you did do that, if you did launch that product, people love that. That proves your right. So another way you get the right to talk is if you studied the subject. Yeah? So that all builds up your ethos. Your pathos is your ability to connect. And pathos is where we get words like empathy. So it's your ability to connect. You could be someone that's fantastically educated in the subject, but doesn't have any ability to connect. You see this with sciences. Look, a backhanded example of this is Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos. She was very, very strong mathematically, very, very strong on the ethos. She'd studied, although probably she's overstated what she studied, but she was great at the pathos. She was able to say, to convince people with statistics, but then she moved on to pathos, which was her uncle died of cancer and the blood test was too late. And he, she could have had extra months with her. Now, in reality, what we later found out is that was completely made up. But her skill in storytelling was very strong. There's a, a sub point here is, Difference between influence and manipulation is you can influence people your whole life or their whole lives. You can manipulate people once. Right? That's the big, that's the big key difference. If you've manipulated someone, they're never ever coming back to you. Then the last leg of this is logos, which is about so you've got ethos, which is your right to speak, and pathos, your connection you make, and then logos is how you structure your story whether you think of it as a report or as a presentation or one day in the past, this happened. Or you see, you'll see includes things like, you know, logos is like where we get logo, which is Greek for, ancient Greek for words. So, you, you know, it's like how you, what words you choose to come across. And if you've got someone who's very, very good structurally, but doesn't have the other two, then it's not going to work. But your people, the people you're talking about, will have very high ethos because they know what they're talking about. Whether they've got pathos, whether they can create empathy and rapport with people is a different matter. That's largely about them. What the book will give you is that complete logos to tell you how to do it. That, yeah, actually, this is kind of like something we were talking about like 15 minutes earlier. It's this gap. People feel this kind of tension when it becomes time for them to to speak up. It's a bit it's a bit like a kind of, I don't know, if you're a panto, if you think the last time you're a panto and someone pointed from the stage to you, come on up, sir. And you think, ha ha ha, I've got to do this because the kids are here, but shit, I don't want to do this. It's that's the feeling we get every time, unless you're really comfortable with this, before you're going to tell a story. So it's about getting through that anxiety, that necessary anxiety. And then giving you the tools to say, actually, this is a two-line story. This is a 15-minute presentation. I'll put the twist here. I'll use this vocabulary. I'll check understanding there. These are techniques. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. And I think anybody, well, we'll you'll get to share um, all the details of the book a bit later, but anybody who's listening to this with um, 
I think that that's that's a brilliant advertisement for how deep how deep one uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way but how deep you do go into it and what I did love about the 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 portion of the book that I did read it was you absolutely said right this is what this is a good idea to do it and this most important is how you do it so rather than just this do this do this do this it's really structural um, and I'm a great believer in structure and frameworks giving us create creativity rather because you actually you've got somewhere to start it's something tangible there and then you can sort of build up from there so um that's amazing yeah thank you that's very very kind of you to say that it's a very it's a very very highly structured book but one of the things that i always believe in if your structure is really great and it's really really strong people shouldn't be able to see it yeah yeah yeah. It can be invisible. But if you look, if you go back on your rereading, you'll see, oh, oh God, every chapter is the same length. It always follows a similar pattern. Mm. There are four sections, five chapters in each. They all lead on, they all cross refer. So I really, you know, and again, this is classic writing tip is the planning. Yeah. Don't expect, you know, people think writers just sit down under a tree and they wait for inspiration. It's not like that at all. You've got to go to your desk. You've got to, you know, you use whatever, your mind maps, your Excel spreadsheets, your, your, your pieces of paper on, you know, your cards on the wall, anything to help you structure it, anything, use any means. People are always, when I, especially when I teach more like creative writing, they always say, you know, what's the secret to kind of structure and to planning? And it's actually that only you can answer that. You will have find, you know, there will be a technique that you will have used in your pottery or in running your business or in planning a video shoot that actually matches two things, your, the way your brain works and the way you want your story to go. So use what stories work for you. Amazing. So good. So good. All right. So I think, uh, Andreas, we're on to the last three questions, oh. which is which is the exciting part. Well, it's all it's all been exciting in, in my opinion. Um, I've been I've been hanging off your every word. But um, so the first the first of the three questions are what does success look like in your business um, or life? Um, and the second part of that, so it's a sort of a two pronged attack. And if I had have asked that question 20 years ago, would I, I'm going to ask that bit again. And if I asked that question 20 years ago, would I have got a different answer? Well, success. So I thought about this a bit. And I think success is, is now about happiness. It's about that sense. Like I've really loved writing this book. You know, the, the story behind the book is the kind of three days into lockdown in 2020, a publisher contacted me. They said, we, we've heard about you in the courses you run. Would you be interested in doing a book? And of course I was. And I was thinking, God, if I sign now, COVID, this thing called COVID has just started. And look, it looks like we're gonna have to spend three weeks inside. You know, so I can spend that three weeks planning and it's really, really good timing. You know, little did I know that it would be like six, seven months before I could safely leave the house. And success for me, kind of during 2020, was about having something that kept me, you know, kept me not just a reason to wake up, but like a real kind of brilliant reason to read loads of books and study loads of things and look for examples. And I'm a complete learning monster. I'm always about learning new things. So essential. If I don't learn something, I die inside. And so that the success, what I say success is happiness. Now, if you asked me about 20 years ago, uh, success was about money, was about status. It was about kind of being seen to be something really important uh, and someone worth following. I think then success becomes about the feelings you you hope to give or you hope to engender in other people rather than yourself. What, a, what an answer. What, what, a, what a start to the big three, eh? Um, the second question is, now this is going to be really interesting considering how many books you've probably read over the years, but what book or resource has had the biggest impact on you? 
Okay, this is a really easy one. Every every time I ask this, I, I give exactly the same answer. All right, when fair I was there, yeah, sorry to be boring, but it's so it's so fundamental to me and my character. Is when I was uh, oh god, 13, 14, I had a job one summer making ice creams on Margate Beach in the kiosks, and it rained most of the summer. And because I was such a book boy, this was great because I could just kind of think in my lunchtime dog up to the library and get books. I was like reading on stocks. It was raining from 11 to 5. And I read all of George Orwell that summer. And George Orwell is still remains the most influential writer on me. Yeah, his, his rules. Again, something I didn't want to get into this book because it's in every other book is Orwell's rules on writing, which I think are really, really good, but they're so over, overused. But his ideas about language and how the language we choose or the language that's given to us shapes our thoughts. I just got that really, really early on. Yeah, that's the, that's the guy for me. Amazing. Um, so this isn't, I'm just going off piece slightly, but you mentioned the, the last sentence there, when, Georgia, when George Orwell found his style. So that, and I'm not putting you two in the same sentence, but have you found your style? Well, that's a very interesting question, actually. Half of this book has come from me delivering courses in this area. So it's incredibly easy to write with my voice. And certain sections I literally recorded and transcribed because I've already spoken them 50 times. So my writing voice is pretty similar to my training voice, which isn't the same as my normal voice, you know? Um, you know, being, of course, one of those classic training phrases. <laughs> so it was relatively easy. It's absolutely easy for me to find a voice for books about business. So the next two books I'm going to do on business, which are kind of in related areas, I've got that voice. I've got that tone. Now, one of the things I actually I talk about in, in, in Stories Everything is that your voice as a writer is a construct. So you... It's one of those things, the more natural you come across, the more artifice you employed. You have to, it's a paradox, you have to work really hard at having a natural sounding voice. You've got to be aware of what you want to do. So in the book, I go through kind of, you know, my tip is if you're looking for a voice, if you're concerned about a voice, look at the people, listen to the people that really connect with and copy the best elements. You know, what is it that you like about this person? Yeah. Now, let me choose a controversial example. Let me choose Joe Rogan. He's, he's not someone I would normally follow. In fact, I've come off Spotify uh, because, because of the kind of, if I had to choose between Joe Rogan and Neil Young, Neil Young's going to win, right? <laughs> but, um, think about Joe Rogan. He's got a really great ability to connect with people. And what he does is, it's very different. His voice now is very different from how it was five years ago. Joe Rogan basically admits through his voice that he knows very little about the subject. So he's always saying, like, tell me about this. I don't understand. And that's great because if you're listening to him, what he's doing is asking the other person to explain from the, you know, the absolute nuts and bolts of their ideas. And he goes back to this idea. We're not listening to them because we're already experts in the subject. We're listening to them because we know nothing. So he's really skilled at just getting people to say more, and to concentrate on what's really important. Five years ago, he was really concerned about him coming across as an expert in many different areas. And I would say something that you could model from someone like him is surprising enough, is humility. You know, it's like saying, yeah, actually, I don't know everything. Tell me, tell me this, you know, there are other people you could choose who just have a brilliant turn of phrase. Like I think of uh, the novelist, I don't know if you've read any Kate Atkinson. There was a, I haven't uh, there's, there's a series of kind of very clever, they're not really detective novels, but they became a detective series called, uh, kind of the detectives called uh, Brody, I think. And she's just got brilliant turns of phrase. Same with John Le Carré. You know, there's just like little one-liners that sum up a person just like in a second. And these are really good things to copy. And it's kind of, it's like you find your voice and then you kind of 
turn up the no, that's not a grass because they turn up the volume. It's not. You adjust the kind of the bass and the treble, right? You highlight and you diminish certain aspects. And that's how you find your voice. I, I do think until you do loads of this, you have to really keep, you know, thinking about your voice. Because I think the vast majority of people listening to this will not be full-time writers. You know, if you've been writing for 10 years, you've got your voice. If you haven't, then you, you're not really paying attention to your job. Yeah. Do you think, though, um, that... because if I'm talking to people just getting into photography or just getting into videography or filmmaking and they're quite early on, literally their first question is pretty much always, how do I develop my style? How do I get my style? And really the answer is don't worry about it for five or 10 years because just make, just produce. And then through um, whatever you would call it, your inner voice or, um, you know, being influenced by different things, you actually start developing your style so is that is that a similar kind of thing well this this is a really weird thing about writing we can all write but we can't all write you can write a shopping <laughs> right. list yes yeah you can yeah. write um uh you know uh darling i left the keys in the oven so well, i don't know why you would ever write that but that's a terrible <laughs> example darling i've left the keys in the oven goodbye right yeah, yeah. Um, but because you can use words in a certain order doesn't turn you into a writer. Whereas none of us, when they approach someone like you, they've probably never taken a photograph before. They don't know which end of a camera, you know, goes where. So there's a lot of kind of technical learning before. Writing is slightly harder because people think, actually most people think they can write. And at a certain level of truth, they can. You know, I can play five chords on a guitar. I'm, you're never, no one's ever gonna pay to see me play guitar. Right? And there, there is a difference. So while you're doing with photography, you've got all those technical aspects to deal with. And what I'm putting forward in this book is actually the technical aspects of writing and business storytelling are teachable and therefore are learnable. Well, that was a tangent and a half, wasn't it? That was meant to be a quick try question. Well, but that was my um, fault. Um, I did have another question, but I'm just aware of the time. So before we go on to the third of the final what was, three, what, 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 what was the other question? I won't answer it, but I'm interested in <laughs> Oh, in fact, I'm gonna, um, if, you, if you're okay for five minutes, I'm going to ask it. Sure. Go on. So you, you mentioned that just because you can write doesn't make you a writer. Then you said, I can play five chords. Yeah. No one's going to pay to see me. What defines a writer for you then? I think this is this is kind of really strange thing about the whole concept of being published or of self-publishing. Uh, I don't think either of those two stages necessarily turn you into a better writer. I also wonder whether being self-published turns you into a more established writer. I know getting a book out changes people's perceptions of you. Of course it does. You know, it's great when you see, you know, like the first book I read, I wrote, I just got most, I got like nine translation deals and it's great, you know. But for me, a writer is someone who deliberately sets out to write. So it's it, forget all the self-publishing, forget all the publishing stuff. Think about the writing. It's about someone who gets up and says, right, for 20 minutes, I'm going to do, you know, I'm not going to talk about this, but look up morning pages, for example. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get that ability to write going. I'm going to loosen up, literally loosen up the muscles, make the connection between pen and paper. I think that's the right. I think when you make a conscious decision to write, and like any form of exercise, it's going to hurt at the beginning. But then when you do it every day, it's, it really becomes not even easier. It just becomes essential. Like I'm working on the follow-up to, uh, to story. And literally what I've been doing since January the 3rd or the 4th is when I get up, I'm really lucky I've got, I know I've got a very flexible lifestyle. I write for about 90 minutes. And I don't, you know, I think if you write early on, you're, you, you really support yourself. You're not critical of yourself. You don't edit, you just bang it out. And you know what, in where we were, we're the 18th of Feb, and I've got something like 14,000 words done. 
And a book is 40,000 words. A business book is 40,000 words. So in six weeks, and then I draft, you know, it's very much a draft process. It's full of errors and spelling mistakes and lots of look this up, you know, sort of comments to myself. But you've got to start writing before you can get any further. So I think give yourself time, regular, make it regular appointments, right? I, I'm not concerned about the quality of what I'm writing at the moment in the version. I will, of course. I'm an ex- I'm a real extreme reviser and self-editor, and you know the critic comes in. But I'm not criticizing. You know, just going back to something you said. I'm not criticizing criticizing myself. I'm criticizing my writing. That's a very very big difference in how you're going to feel about yourself. Um, yeah. So for me, someone is a, it, someone becomes a writer if they if they write regularly and actually that's much more important than thinking about, Oh, I've got to get these blog posts up. Um, Right. So just before we go on to the final question, um, do you want to tell everybody listening where people can find your book? Well, where do you think they can find it? I would guess Amazon. (laughs) Amazon and also (laughs) other bookshops. Oh, there you go. It's published by Quirkus. So the first, the first version obviously is published in English, and if you, I, I think there are some European translation deals coming next year. But it's, I think, even if you are kind of French or Spanish and have reasonable English, I would, I would tend to read it in, in English because sometimes translations do lose your voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not that I can tell in the Korean translation. No. <laughs> clearly, clearly not. Um, yeah, so it's out uh, April the fourteenth. My wish, I guess, is that it just it leads to me doing a couple more books in a similar series. I love, I love the way you seem like an early PDF, but I actually have the first proof copy that they sent to me. It's like the first one to come for the princess. And it just looks great. And it's, it's a lovely, you know, it is a lovely feeling when you see your book and it's been professionally produced and it's got great colours and it just smells like a new book. That's a, And it, the touch is perfect. And that's a lovely, you know, I'm not going to lie, that is a lovely feeling. I get a load of joy from that. A book like this, it only really has value is if it's red and it's underlined and it's highlighted and it's creased and they break the spine and you use it. What one piece of advice would you give a person starting in your industry tomorrow? For author, what I would say is don't rush. Okay. Actually, let me turn that into, into a kind of a positively framed command. Just be patient. Don't think about publishing. Don't even think about other readers. Work until you're comfortable. Work until you've found a voice. Work until you've found stories that engage you and just wait and just practice you'll find that voice you'll find that story you'll find those ideas and then they'll come out and you know what maybe then you'll never be published but you know go back to my guitar analogy i love playing should i stay or should i go by the clash even if none of you love listening to me play it thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast if you've hated it keep quiet but if you've loved it you can support the show by sharing it with anyone who may love it too have a nice one and i'll see you next time for another episode of squaring the circle